Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Chris Amsler. And our guests today are Sam Katharani and Derek Manuj with Coral.io. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Of course. Sam, give us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the space. Sure. Uh, So I'm largely a software engineer. Uh, I did not work in the industry or coded a lot. I quickly switched to uh, the product and project management field. I worked for a company in London for three years as a product and project management consultant. And shortly after, I moved to Montreal, where I joined a payment processing company called Pivotal Payment as one of their business analysts. And shortly after, I jumped into the fintech scene before fintech got popular. Uh, I joined uh, one of Canada's first peer-to-peer lenders in around 2011, 2010. And I was the only head of product at at the point. Uh, We took the company public in 2012. I was directly involved in that uh, aspect of work. And uh, by the time I left in 2016, we uh, had a portfolio of half a billion dollars. Uh, I got into the crypto space early on just through uh, hearing about it as a hobbyist, uh, through friends, uh, family members, and just about the whole hype that was happening around Bitcoin. Just like everyone else, I was a bit skeptical about the potential of the industry. But over, over time, I got to learn about the potentials and how you can apply it in different aspects, especially in the financial sector to kind of uh, improve the efficiency uh, of a lot of aspects, whether it's securities management, lending, uh, different products. Uh, I, until 2016, I was still part of IOU back then. My entrepreneurial bug kept getting uh, bigger and bigger until one day I decided to go solo and uh, launch Coral, which used to be Seedlify at the point uh, at that time. And uh, I met Derek. I think Derek, what we met March, April 2017. Yeah, and uh, since then we've uh, we've hit it off, and uh, we've been working on this project, which we're excited to tell you more about in a bit. Excellent. Well, Derek, how how did you get involved in this space? So uh, I was formally educated as a mathematician, uh, and naturally I have an interest for numbers and technology and uh, things of that nature. Uh, back in university, a lot of my research focus was primarily on mathematical finance uh, and the applications of math to economics as well as game theory. Uh, and most of my research back in that day was also in quantum information theory. So we kind of have that sort of merging of game theory, crypto, uh, as well as quantum that was sort of uh, interesting from my standpoint to be a part of from a research level, but I didn't actually that? get active. Sorry? What is, qu- what is quantum information? Oh, qu- so quantum computing is, is what it's more commonly known as. Uh, okay, it's essentially okay. the models uh, underlying um, and systems that would be underlying a quantum computer design. Um, okay. So that, that's typically very theoretical in nature because there's only very few, if you will, by definition, quantum computers that are existing today. Um, however, back in that day, um, it was the numbers that really attracted me to the space and the idea of what cryptography and these larger scale decentralized systems uh, could actually thrive as in an operating world. Um, I didn't actually buy Bitcoin. Uh, until much later. And actually, the first Bitcoin I purchased was uh, in 2013. It was gifted to me um, from a friend uh, who now works at Ethereum. 
Um, I kind of took the corporate route. My other friends went right into the crypto world. Uh, I started at KPMG, or sorry, uh, Scotiabank um, earlier on, um, where I was focusing primarily on the credit risk modeling side, so risk management and uh, managing the statistical and theoretical soundness of models. Uh, I moved from there to KPMG, where uh, I was working not just on credit models, but uh, essentially any sort of math or statistics or quantitative problems that some of the banks uh, had challenging solving. So uh, it was a great blend of getting access to fraud and credit and market and different types of risk. Um, after sort of leading the quant team there, I started my own consulting firm, um, managed my own quant team in the Toronto and Canadian market, uh, working with over 40 different institutions, governments and financial regulators. Uh, and from there, I jumped ship and joined Sam to work on Coral. And how was it that the two of you met? Uh, so so it's, it's, a fun, it's a funny story, I think. Was, I, I was based in Montreal, and Derek is based in Toronto, right? Uh, and at that point, when I launched Coral, or the brand back then, Seedlify, um, I was looking for more of a credit or uh, analytical guy, financial mathematician, kind of to join the team and cover uh, the skills that I that kind of I am not that strong at. Um, and I think I had a friend at National Bank at that point, and I was just talking about, about it in front of him, and he referred me to a common contact between Derek and himself, uh, who also works as a KPMG consultant, and he made that intro. It happened that I was in Toronto in March for a, for a Mars event, and I think Derek and I met. Uh, we kept talking, I think, for what, like a month, a month and a half, just talking about the vision, about the company, how it can be involved. And uh, I think I think since then, we noticed that we share the same vision and goals for what you want to do. And the product has changed completely since then, uh, from where we at where we at in March 2017 till today. Awesome. So, what does Coral do? So, and in essence, Coral is basically revenue sharing on the blockchain. Uh, when we started, we started with a goal of solving a problem with the uh, raising capital industry, right? Uh, so, we looked at the startups and the early stage technology companies that are actually in the process. Of raising capital, and that industry was pretty much uh, not obsolete, or more, not a lot of innovation happening there, right? Uh, if you look, if you look at that industry, has been focused more on venture capital or the traditional ways of raising money. And we wanted to see how could you do that better? How could we innovate within that space? It's not just about technology itself. There should be something within the product itself. And that's when we started exploring with different models. Originally, we wanted to kind of have the equity crowdfunding approach, and slowly pivoted towards what is known as revenue sharing or royalties. Uh, the royalties industry has been popular for a while in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, oil and gas and mining. And we thought about what if we bring that to technology companies or early stage fundraising. Uh, so with Coral, uh, startups can raise capital. And instead of diluting uh, their shares or giving up board seats, uh, they can simply get the injection of capital they need and they pay it back uh, through a percentage of their top line revenue, or basically their initial uh, their gross revenue, as we call it, uh, this aligns kind of the interest of businesses and investors, or in our case, that's us. Uh, it's entrepreneur friendly, user friendly. It's easy to understand. Uh, allows you to grow on your own terms without kind of giving up those equity and board seats and control. Uh, you're in full control as a management team, and you have that vision basically in this perspective. Uh, we kind of wanted to connect the blockchain and the fiat world. We want to be just more than a cool fintech company with a nice website doing revenue sharing investments. Uh, we thought about, okay, well, how can we connect both worlds, the blockchain and the fiat? And that's how we decided to launch the Coral token. 
So the Coral token basically represents a share in Coral. Uh, basically, what we did is we went public on the blockchain in, in simple words, right? Uh, what we did is we took all of our capital structure and put it on the blockchain. So Coral now is planned to be the world's first regulatory uh, compliant securities token that pays dividends to all token holders. Uh, and uh, we're adhering or plan to adhere to all security laws in Canada and worldwide. Uh, basically, as a token holder, you now own a share in Coral, or what we call a Class B share. You get dividends from our uh, from our uh, earnings every quarter, uh, and you can also obviously trade the token uh, on the market the way you would do with any share on the public market. Now, how do the dividends work? How are those distributed? Are they coming back through tokens? Are they fiat? What is, yeah, how, so how does that work? The, the tokens are basically, as a token holder, you receive quarterly dividends in Ethereum. Uh, so basically what we do is, uh, whatever is raised in the token sale is going to be converted to fiat to do investments uh, in those businesses and early stage businesses. We collect our payments on a monthly basis from the top line revenue of all the investments we've done. And then every quarter, we remit up to a certain percentage uh, of those earnings as dividends by converting the fiat to Ether and remitting it through the smart contract to all token holders. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, how does the, how does the revenue sharing aspect or model, I guess, how is that different from other maybe competitors with you? Uh, so, I mean, if you look at it, the difference or different approaches for you to raising money uh, have been for early stage companies, you have the angel investments and the venture capital space. And for later stage companies, you have uh, basically your bank loans or uh, government grants or in Canada, what we call tax credit financing which allows you to get returns or get capital injection based on the expected tax returns you will have down the road for R&D. I mean, these, these have been the models in the market for now. Uh, we wanted to look at something different where it's based on revenue, based on your earnings of the company uh, without having to give up equity. And that's where the revenue sharing model came interesting and became interesting for us because as a company, you're either too early for uh, bank loans or maybe Series A. And sometimes you might be too late for an angel investment or an injection capital. And we focus on a market where uh, the gap right now is a billion dollars alone in Canada. And I think what, Derek, we estimated it's 100 billion worldwide uh, in the industry we're operating in. So we're kind of filling that gap in the middle between companies that are good for early stage investing or angel investing, but they're too early, for example, for Series A or Series B or even getting to the bank loan. Uh, that's that's the market we're in right now. We're kind of filling a gap between the existing models in the market, uh, which is which keeps growing month to month and year to year, uh, and that's the sweet spot that we're focusing on. Uh, so in a way, that kind of differentiates us from the area we're focusing on uh, early days, and by kind of giving an alternative to those businesses to raising capital beyond uh, the means of giving up equity in the traditional sense. Oh, okay. What uh, what stage of development are you in? So Coral basically right now is in pre-launch. Uh, we have our token sale coming up in April. Uh, our business side of things is an MVP, or a minimum viable product. Uh, so we have the April, the April 1st would be the launch of our live token sale. Uh, and from now till then, we're focusing on our token pre-sale, which is basically private uh, to accredited investors. And also focusing on building the product, building our sales pipelines and uh, deal flows, uh, while also focusing on expanding our technology stack. What unique, um, what unique problems have you encountered up to this point? I wouldn't call it problems as much as been more uh, learning experiences or obstacles that we're trying to kind of overpass. It's more of uh, 
things that were expected, and we have to go through them. There's more hurdles. I think the biggest issue, because we are in a heavily regulated industry, is uh, working with the regulators and making sure that every word we say, every uh, everything we do is uh, not frowned upon, is not uh, is not in a, would be blacklisted down the road. Uh, I think that's that's one of the concerns, right? So unlike any other company or fintech startup that launches, uh, you can go crazy with your marketing campaigns. You can say whatever you want. In our case, we have to be very careful. Right? So the way we market, our, our, whether it's our ad, what we say to our community, uh, what we publish out there, whether it's a white paper or a blog post, everything has to be thought twice. It kind of delays things sometimes from the timeline or pushing things fast. Uh, but at the same time, we're in a, in a good spot with the regulators. No one, no one is looking at us and, uh, and uh, kind of flagging us. And that's, that's been uh, one of the main concerns and hurdles that we focus on. Uh, Derek, you have anything to add on that front? Yeah, maybe a, a couple of other uh, challenges or risks would be uh, deal flow. Um, obviously, we want to attract really high-quality startups and businesses to land on our page and apply for funding. Um, as long as we are able to sort of market and have the inbound sales team uh, focus on high-quality leads as well as generating long-term partnerships with, let's say, incubator programs or accelerator programs or angel networks or VC networks, um, then we are able to be in a position where we can minimize that risk. And even before the platform is even launched, um, as, as Sam mentioned, we're, we're close to finishing the MVP for going live, essentially. And we already have about 2,000 entrepreneurs or companies that are signed up on our platform ready to go and apply as soon as we go live. So we've been able to minimize that risk and are in the process of forming some great partnerships with the accelerators and incubator programs that are out there today um, that will sort of maximize that pipeline. A second challenge or risk that I, I foresee is uh, talent. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, great crypto companies in the space, uh, a lot of uh, high-flying, high-potential fintech companies as well. And uh, Coral is a blend of both of those. Um, so we're competing for talent across a wide spectrum of, of companies and, and up-and-coming entities that we would like to obviously attract to our business. Um, so. From that standpoint, we're, we're, we're hiring, we're looking for really talented people to join us, and uh, um, we're hoping to sort of fill that roster and grow it over the next year. Okay, great. Yeah, and to add to Derek's point, yeah, one of the uh, trickiest things when you're in the business of investing or uh, financing is you start attracting a lot of businesses because selling money is not hard, you know, everyone wants to raise money, so you're going to be attracting a lot of businesses, a lot of companies, the good ones and the bad ones. And you need to know how to filter among those uh, to make sure, well, one, as a product reputation remains intact, uh, two, your kind of market position uh, is different from everyone else. If you're going to start attracting the businesses that are not in revenue, uh, that, can, uh, that will give a wrong idea about our product from day one. So that's sort of very clear that any business that comes to us for an investment needs to be at least in six months revenue, right? Uh, needs to have the healthy gross margin. It's not just about having an idea and hoping to launch it, and then once you start making revenue, you'll start paying us back. So that's been very crucial for us to kind of highlight from day one, uh, because we'd rather have a pipeline, and it is, and that's, that's what's been helping us for now. Our two, pipeline of 2,000 businesses, we would say the majority are actually in revenue stage with fit within the minimum criteria we have, compared to just opening the pipeline to anyone having 10,000 businesses that won't even fit your model. Uh, so that's, that's been very crucial for us from a marketing and uh, deal flow growth point of view. Okay. Uh, Derek, I'm really I'm curious. You mentioned your economic background. Uh, what do you see or give us your, your viewpoint on 
what blockchain is doing for um, economic development overall compared to what you've seen up to this point in history? Yeah, so uh, blockchain in general is going to create a lot of value. Um, and there's a couple of factors that are driving value drivers of that. And I would say that monetary velocity would be probably one of the biggest features of blockchain or cryptocurrencies in general as to why there's going to be so much value generated and so much value generated very quickly. So when you look at traditional financial uh, systems and monetary payment systems in general, um, it often takes a really long time to send money from point A to point B. Uh, in certain situations, if you're cross-border, you're going through multiple intermediaries. Each one of those are taking uh, a charge or a fee on top. Um, they're obviously holding it in escrow for a certain period of time, so it delays the process. Um, and in certain situations, uh, there's no provability of uniqueness of the payment. Uh, so th there are potential opportunities for fraud to occur, um, or let's say your payment might go missing, and then it gets sunk into some sort of recourse action. So there's a lot of concerns over existing monetary payment systems and financial services in general. Um, what blockchains offer essentially are solutions to all these problems. Uh, and what we've seen already is that although, yeah, the capital inflow into the crypto markets is only about half a trillion uh, as of today, um, that number is going to increase dramatically as soon as we start seeing large banking systems and the economy in general start flowing their money towards these types of blockchain-based payment systems or stores of value. And it's, an, it's, in my opinion, inevitable. And the reason we haven't seen it as soon as uh, it probably should be occurring is because of the regulation that's tied to a lot of these banks or institutional investors. So they just don't have the means or the ability to, to make large-scale investment into cryptocurrencies if they want to operate on-side with the regulator. So Over think, time, that... You think the regulation is like the regulation in the um, cryptocurrency world will be kind of the the safety net for banks to transition? Or yeah, I I think it's the regulation um, imposed on what we know as traditional financial assets that will make the evolution towards cryptocurrencies from the banking world a uh, possibility. And so what I mean by that is essentially what we have today is about ninety nine point seven five percent of the market cap of crypto is in utility or app based tokens. So the companies that are creating these tokens are basically dictating to themselves that, you know, we're not a regulated security. And by virtue of doing that, they're kind of operating in this international waters, if you will. Uh, and so the banks have shied away because the regulatory risk is just too high. Once we start moving towards uh, more regulated securities tokens, we're going to see the banks and institutional investors start deploying a lot more capital towards it because this is what they're familiar with. And if they're mandated by their investment thesis to work within a regulatory environment uh, that has been signed off on by the board, by management, and by the regulators that they work with, then they're far more inclined to move towards a security that they know and love, but has the blockchain technology that can facilitate all the benefits that we know and love. So with your, your unique viewpoint, looking back 10 years ago, and just thinking about that for a moment... Fast forward to 10 years from now, what do you think is going to be economic uh, outlook for the future with blockchains or whatever happens to be around at that time? Um, how, how does that look? Yeah, so I, I see one of the outcomes of this movement is a disintermediation of jurisdictional regulation. So what I mean by that is essentially right now we have the SEC, which they regulate securities uh, in the U.S. We have in Canada, 
the CSA and provincial regulators that regulate securities here. Um, and then around the world, there are provincial and or state level or nation level regulators that have oversight uh, and are in charge of protecting investors as well as ensuring market efficiency across their own jurisdiction. Uh, in the future, I do suspect that more regulators around the world will come together uh, and impose borderless regulation or universal regulation across the board with respect to certain securities um, such that we can facilitate cross-border payments in a, in a more effective and costly or cost-effective manner. Um, and also another implication of that would be in terms of cryptocurrencies in general, we already have seen the notion of central banks starting to play around with what would a cryptocurrency look like at a central bank level. So I do think that we're going to start seeing let's say the US dollar or Canadian dollar or Singaporean dollar move towards a central bank uh, blockchain based currency. Whether or not that happens in the next few years is hard to say. I do know that they're experimenting with this technology and there are certain incentives for governments to impose or create these cryptocurrencies that are backed by a central bank. And one of those is being obviously authority and control because you can essentially tax at each transaction that occurs for, let's say, a Fed coin or a Canadian coin and, and, and remit those tax taxes to the government directly. So you can embed all of the logic that's required for immediate taxation in a smart contract. And that's not something that you could do today with money that is unprogrammable. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fascinating world that we live in now. And it's even more fascinating to, to think about what that long-term future holds for us. Everything operates so quickly in the space that we're dealing with right now, it's just, it's, a, it's interesting to think about how quickly it will operate many years from now. Sam, what about uh, your perspective from the software side of things? From about 10 years ago in your, uh, in your experience to fast forward and 10 years from now, what's your unique outlook? I mean, if you, if you look at it years ago, we, uh, when laptops and computers were kind of created, we thought that we're only going to need one computer for, for each company, and now every, every person has one. And so, uh, I mean, we've seen, we've seen a lot of things evolve in the technology from whether it's FinTech in general. Uh, I like to give them as three phases, right? Uh, FinTech 101, 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Uh, 1.0, whether that was the phase of 10 years ago when we kind of started seeing some innovation in, within the financial services, uh, whether it's putting it online and kind of automating certain tasks. FinTech 2.0, which is basically the stage we're in right now, I uh, would say more the customer service experience of a lot of financial products are, or what banks have are now basically released in the form of apps or certain companies doing it, whether it's robo-advising or um, I don't know, automating your payments, stuff like that. And I think FinTech 3.0 is the phase that starts in 2018 and onwards. Uh, that's when we're going to see the uh, conversion of blockchain financial technology into uh, the whole space where one day every single stock in the public market will be in the form of a token. Uh, you want to buy a Google stock, you don't have to pay your $9, $10 fee for your broker. You can simply just go buy it freely on the market. Uh, we can see your 401ks or your tax savings accounts uh, being eligible for crypto and tax tax products. Uh, and and that will not be feasible without the whole technology advancements that we're going through, right? Uh, like to the point that Derek was talking about from an economic point of view. I mean, there's a 217 trillion market from a securities point of view, whether that security is debt, uh, uh, equity, uh, real estate. 
And the only way you can innovate that and kind of make it more efficient from a process point of view is by adapting the blockchain technology to it, uh, finding ways to convert it, convert that fiat world to the blockchain world. Um, and that's where the regulators are going to come in knocking, you know. The only way you're going to be adopting that concept of technology is by adding the regulation aspect to it, and uh, which is one of the things we also believe in, right? And that was part of the strategic partnership that we had with Polymass, that you have that technology that people are scared of, uh, whether it's bank institutionals, no one can operate in uncharted waters. And now we're taking the regulation aspect and adding it to it. That's going to encourage the whole financial industry to evolve towards that path. And from 10 years, I'm not sure if it's going to be 10 years from now. I, I personally believe it might be even faster. Uh, we're going to be seeing the whole uh, concept of tokenization of securities being adopted widely uh, worldwide, especially with, especially in Canada, for example. I mean, Canada has been one of the leaders from regulation point of view. We've been keeping an open mind about things. Um, I'm excited to see what's going to happen next in this space. Excellent. Well, guys, we're running short on time, so. Uh, Sam, I was wondering if you have any final thoughts on uh, Coral uh, before we go. Yeah, I mean, I would, what I would offer in general is based on the industry we're in from a, a token sale point of view. A lot of people ask, look, at what's, what token sales are and what should I invest in? Uh, just, just be careful about what you're looking at. There's a lot of ideas out there. Some of them are good. Some of them are really bad. Uh, just use your common sense the way you would evaluate any investment out there and uh, make sure you check the team make sure you uh, check who's behind it uh, check if the product actually really needs to be tokenized on the blockchain does it add any value uh, before just uh, hearing someone who's trying to pump and dump let's, uh, the way we call it or kind of create awareness uh, just for, for the sake of fake news about it okay and where are the where's the best place to contact you so you can uh, so if you want to know more about our token sales, uh, you can definitely go to our website coral.io. Uh, we have a Telegram channel which you can join. Uh, we've actually hit 18,000 members today, uh, which is basically a good uh, a good uh, result and achievement even before the pre live sale. So yeah, you can join our Telegram. You can send us an email at hello at coral.io uh, or just reach out to Derek or myself directly on LinkedIn. Yeah, we're always uh, happy to answer any questions. Well, excellent. Sam Katharani and Derek Manoush with Coral IO. Thank you guys for joining us today, and we look forward to joining us next time here on the Future Tech Podcast. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.